Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Squiggly Quiz podcast. I am Helen, one of the hosts of the podcast, but I'm not here this week with Sarah. I am joined instead by Amy Brand, which I'm very excited about. Hello, Amy. Hello, everyone. I'm super excited too. I have been waiting for this episode for ages. Um, I got introduced to Amy, who you will hear much more about in a second, by a lovely lady called Jo. Thank you, Jo, if you're listening. And she mentioned Amy and her work in neuroscience, and then I started to stalk you a little bit, and uh, you <laughs> became one of your books became my coaching club's book I say coaching club it's me and somebody else and either a glass of wine and coffee talking about (laughs) books that we love Uh, yeah we just knew that we wanted to talk to you on the podcast and share some of your wisdom and thinking about neuroscience um, with everyone but maybe before we get into that I know that you are a neuroscience expert and I wondered in terms of the context of your career so we talk about squiggly careers at Amazing If and people kind of moving and and it's not always a straight linear progression to where they've got to be how did you become a neuroscience expert well I think I can definitely subscribe to the squiggly and <laughs> that you describe so it all goes back to when I was three years old oh wow but I uh, recognizing that we might want an abridged version of this <laughs> um, where uh, my mum tells a story that ever since I was three I would look up at her having an intimate procedure done by her male GP and I was just heads all in very interested what's going on what's going on and the doctor turned in all his wisdom to me and said oh when you grow up do you want to be a nurse and apparently I looked back at him and said no when I grow up I want to be a doctor and that was sort of what consumed me for the next until I was 18 and went off to medical school. I was always fascinated by how we worked and and how we could work optimally. And there was a lot of sort of care for when people are going through challenging times and wanting, thinking that we can look after them in the best way we can, even Mm. when people are struggling. But I went off to medical school, having become really fascinated specifically with the brain. So my idea of going on holidays was a suitcase filled with a couple of bikinis and a lot of books. <laughs> and they're still pivotal books in the field of neuroscience and quantum physics now. But when I got to medical school, I started getting involved more with training and sort of global organizations that shape medicine and mm-hmm. and how we teach med students. And I can remember distinctly standing on the shores of a Macedonian lake with one of these big conferences, about 800 medical students from around the world, and just thinking the training that I've been doing with them on leadership and intercultural skills, you know, wouldn't it just be amazing if you could do this for a living? Uh, but never having realised there was anything else out there, I then returned to England, back to medical school and 
actually pretty soon after that made the decision during a medical exam that I wanted to leave medical school and wanted in the medical exam in the medical exam oh, yeah. wow what was what, what was the exam this exam was lots of pussy penises I'm afraid <laughs> um, you asked I did ask. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes. image not leaving my mind. No, 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 it doesn't. Um, but uh, yeah, one's mind <laughs> might wander during those sessions, and I crafted out this whole alternative plan for me. So I left. I bought a bottle of champagne. I went home. I enrolled to train as a coach and also do some uh, of a British sign language interpreting wow, that's degree. A, that's that's a big day. It was <laughs> a big day. <laughs> it was a big day, but a good day. Um, it did happen quickly. Yeah. Um, some might caution against that. For me, it's been amazing. Yeah. And from there... So I... you finished medical school? No, you just, no, you no, just... no, midway through. And what did your family say? Well, my dad never wanted me to be a medic because he said you work with sick people all the time, which is yeah. true. And my mum just wanted me to be happy and yeah. do what I wanted oh, wow. to do. So That's um... what you want from a parent, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm also storing that advice as my parenting advice. Just, just make your children happy. Um, I think there was probably a bit... No, I don't even think there was of, oh, you know, we're so proud of you going mm. to medical school. Mm. But I, I never really felt that. And I know for a lot of people, especially at UCL, it's uh, London University, it's very multicultural and a lot of people were there because their parents wanted them to be there. But mm. I'd never had that. So it was it was always my choice. So headed off, did the coach training, worked as a coach for a while, but always the answers to questions, I was reverting back to neuroscience, what mm -hmm. I knew of the brain from medical school, but more from all of the books that I'd consumed. Mm. And the pace was picking up in terms of the insights from neuroscience even 15 years ago. And then we just started to reach out more to companies because we believe we could have more of an impact mm. there. And a lot of people's individual challenges could be removed if the organisation was just that bit better and didn't create the problems in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that's why the attention changed to organisations. But I was going into a lot of big corporates, about 25 years old, saying to them they needed to pay attention to how the brain worked. And they were saying to me, these, I remember these some of these big you know, MDs in suits going, well, what do I need to read on this topic? And I'm <laughs> Give thinking, me the tick list. <laughs> exactly. And I wanted to give them a big pile of academic papers, which all make the argument really compelling. You need to learn how your employees' brains work. But I didn't think that they were going to invest the time in reading that. So that's when I then wrote my book, Make Your Brain Work, mm. with a view, not thinking it would get published. You know, it's a very competitive world and just thinking I'd have to self-publish. But it got picked up by a publisher and so we ran with it and that just opened doors and then yeah. made it easier. Um, and, and Synaptic Potential is your organisation. And so you would form that at that point or did that? Yeah, we'd formed that Well, pretty much when we were when I came out of medical school and my husband joined me in the company. I was going to say, who's we? Okay. Yeah, so, Ooh, so you work with your husband. I do work with my husband. Ooh, that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, and it's been amazing because it's meant that we can spend as much time or as little time as we want together. Yeah. And we different have gif different gifts, different skills that are contributed to the company. And I tend to lean more on the academic side of things. Yeah. So when we collaborated with the Wales Centre for Behaviour Change, which just came about because I'd reached out to one of the professors there, a professor of psychology who also had a background in neuroscience and I liked some of what he was researching. Yeah. And then I met up with him and then he started to write for us. And then when they formed this Centre for Behaviour Change, which was an interdisciplinary team with neuroscientists, behavioural scientists, design thinkers, it was an amazing team. But it meant that 
he knew us to, yeah. to support on the business application side of things. What I love when I'm listening to your story is how um, how organic it sounds. So you basically followed a passion and a discipline and something that stimulated and challenged you and then you've been really open to where that's taken you and you've maybe been attracted to other people who shared that passion and had the same attracted to the same kind of challenging things as you and it just it sounds really organic it's lovely it wasn't like some big career plan which we actually caution people against having a really rigid career plan because we think in a squiggly career if you can keep yourself open and you have curious conversations actually it can lead to really unexpected and positive outcomes for your career and it sounds like that's kind of where and probably where you're still going right you're just connecting with all these like-minded people who are stimulated by the things that you know and are still learning about absolutely 100 percent couldn't have brought it together better it's exactly that and it is still happening just as you said mm. so for the last couple of years while we've been working with these global organizations that are really passionate about helping people shape their brains and understand more about how they work and how mm. they can work better i've been constantly thinking this is stuff that everyone should have access to and mm. everyone should know about. And I certainly teach my six-year-old daughter about things and her friends about things and yeah. go into her little school and teach them. But I think that all children should have access and it's been on my mind. And then recently, a great guy who's a professor of, is it coaching, I want to say? He's written a brilliant book. He's written many brilliant books, including one on coaching and education. Uh -huh. And by chance, we live in the same hometown and we just we met up for coffee and he's just moved what he's doing to focus on this coaching and education organisation doing brilliant work based in Australia, but, oh, but around the globe. And there's scope for us to contribute our oh, neuroscience yeah. underpinned resources for children. So you just never know. And I'm so excited about that and getting that out there. That'd be amazing. But, but I think because um, they're teaching growth mindset in schools now, aren't yes. they? which I know gets featured in your Engage book. Imagine if our children at school are learning about neuroscience and growth mindset. I feel a bit shortchanged in my education. I think I learned Pythagoras' theorem or something. <laughs> I, I, I missed out the bit. So we've kind of mentioned neuroscience without getting into what it is. This is going to be impossible to do. But neuroscience in a nutshell, or maybe uh, neuroscience in a brain cell, like we keep it small. What for people that aren't really aware of what it is or can't define it, what is neuroscience? And maybe the second question that may be more important in the context of work, why should we care about it? Mm -hmm. So Neuroscience is just the study of the brain. Mm -hmm. So it's just the study of the brain and it's got links to lots of other disciplines. I'll address the why it's important for work because I think it's just such a fundamental one and I often start with it when I talk to organisations, but how many people in your organisation have a brain? <laughs> mm. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> they range a little, but most people would agree that, yeah, and <laughs> and their clients have brains and that means that this organ that's driving everything that's happening, mm. it's driving all of their behaviours, it's driving their attitudes, it's driving the results of the company, that organ typically we know very little about mm. as people that are making decisions and trying to motivate and trying to support. And this academic study, this academic group around the world of amazing people that dedicate their lives to studying the, the minute, you know, mm -hmm. the real tiny aspects of how this organ works. When you chunk up, there's really great insights that can help shape how we organise an organisation, how we manage people, how we lead people, how we engage people, how we reward and motivate people. I personally can't think of an area of business that involves people that can't benefit 
from an awareness of how the brain actually works. So while it is this academic study, a lot of the research, when you dig into it and then it's really important that you sort of overlap different papers with one another mm-hmm, so you don't mm-hmm. just read one paper and go, oh, That's the, the, answer. Yeah, the mm. answer is cheese. We must feed the employees <laughs> cheese. It's got something to do with tryptophan and dopamine and it'll all be good if we feed them cheese. That's not what we're going for here. But <laughs> if you, There's a rush on cheese. <laughs> it wouldn't even do that. But anyway, um, if, you, yeah, if you look at the different studies and look for themes, then you can build up this picture and it's that picture that is so important mm. because at the moment a lot of people have been muddling along on 50-year-old psychological theory that may or may not have mm-hmm. any weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and different management theories or different theories in general can be great and can be extremely insightful and extremely helpful. But some of them, well, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> and neuroscience gives us another lens. So we're certainly not arrogant enough to say, you know, it should all be about neuroscience. Not at all. It's just another lens to look through. And we look through the behavioural lens as well. And you can look through the psychological lens and the artistic lens and all these other lenses mm-hmm. that really sharpen the image and the picture that we've got in front of us. And do you feel like the direction of the conversation has changed? And what I mean by that is you going to organisations and saying, you need to be aware of this, this can really help versus an organisation coming to you saying, we think we need to talk to you about this. Since you started 15 years ago, do you feel that direction of conversations change? Totally, mm. totally, totally. And I think what's brilliant is a lot of the buzzwords and buzz concepts that are now very popular, for example, resilience, growth mindset, all of these, mm. people are now recognising that there will be a neurological underpinning to it. Mm. And if they understand that, then they can do things more effectively. Mm. Even something like innovation. I mean, of course, innovation's got a neurological underpinning to it. But if you understand the different stages of innovation and what's going on in the brain when someone's innovating Mm -hmm. and the different environments that can then nudge or trigger those different networks in the brain then you're just that much Mm. further forward and it's that much easier for people rather than just going, you know what, we need more people in this office space. So what we're going to do is we're going to just put them all in a big room and we're going to hope that it means that they're more communicative and they collaborate more. Let's do that (laughs) without any thinking around, well, what actually does that do for their productivity, their ability to focus, their ability to concentrate, their ability to monotask, all of those considerations. Whereas if you start from the brain, you go, okay, yeah, we might want more people to collaborate. We might want more working together, but we're going to have to balance that and we're going to have to think about this in a proper way, not just look at costs. I'm feeling like some of the large organisations that I've worked for should have had like a neuroscientist in, in residence or something like that. that and was... you know, I know of one school that does have hey, one. Okay. And, and I completely agree that more organisations are becoming open to it, but at least consult some yes. of these ideas. Yes. And, and there is much more in the overall domain out there that you can access. Some of it is still very hyped and sort of more neuromyth than... Um... That's interesting, the neuromyths. The neuro oh, there's a blog, there's a blog post of that. <laughs> Indeed. So I have read two of your books, um, and they're both quite different, actually. I've read The Neuroscience for Coaches and I've read Engaged. 
and highly recommend both of them. And I would say when I was reading Engaged, I was making sort of quite actionable notes about oh, what can I talk to people about in the companies that I work for? How can I weave that into the programs that we run for companies? And when I was reading Neuroscience for Coaches, I was thinking, oh, gosh, I definitely need to improve, improve my thinking around how I've been doing things. I ended up with a drawing. I printed off a picture of a brain and I have got an annotated picture of brain at home from your book that I was just writing down notes and thinking, God, I need to put everything that I'm learning in this book into, I think, visually, but some kind of visual picture. And I suppose my reason for saying that is there's a lot. Like, it's not easy and it's complex. And I think you do a brilliant job of making that accessible. But just some of the language is language that I've never come across before. And I think people might have heard about things like and dopamine but when we're getting into I don't know the neofrontal cortex or all those kind of things suddenly you have to almost have Google on one side and the book on the other and I can see why it's challenging for people and I thought in the terms of this podcast what would be really helpful would be to focus on four areas where people can take action from the insight and I thought maybe if we can take our conversation towards that then people listening will be able to I think I would love to talk to you all day just about my annotated picture <laughs> it's probably not going to be I want to see it <laughs> yeah, I'll take a picture for it it's probably not going to be interesting for anyone but me or you uh, so if we go into one of the areas that I think the first area for me that really struck me when I was reading both books was the importance of sleep. And I know, I mean, Ariana Huffington's covered a lot on the importance of sleep, but when read about it, particularly engaged, actually, I was like, wow, this organisations should be paying the things you talk about, sleep training and all of that kind of stuff. I thought it was fascinating. So maybe if we can talk a little bit about neuroscience and sleep and how they connect and what people should be doing to help their brain and help them be their best at work. Absolutely. So it's really simple. <laughs> sleep. We need to sleep. <laughs> and, and that's it. And, Why? And, and so <laughs> we we don't fully understand all of the ways that sleep works. But as a baseline, we know that when we sleep, it's thought that toxins that build up during the day in fluid mm. get cleaned. Mm -hmm. And just like you wouldn't spend a day in London and then go home and snuggle up to your partner and then the next day go to London again and then come home again and snuggle up next to you. At some point you need a shower, right? To get rid of all that grime that's built thinking, up. I was thinking, I think I do that. It's the shower <laughs> it's element. the shower element. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, so cleaning our bodies, cleaning our teeth. We wouldn't like that furry build up on your teeth, <laughs> would we? Yep. So just think about that and your brain. You don't want that build up of toxins in your brain. What you want is to sleep, to enter into a different state of consciousness and to allow your brain to do the normal natural processes that it needs to do. And the benefits of doing that are that we consolidate memories. I was talking to a friend's teenager just the other day and they were in the middle of GCSE exam revision and they were tempted to go out for a party that night and he was saying, well, you know, I might, I'll get the 6am train back, you know, so I'll be straight back on it in the in the day. I said, you know, you could. I mean, having time out is really important, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, but it's not just tomorrow's work, is it? It's the memory consolidation from today. And he was like, Scared oh, for yeah. life. <laughs> well, <laughs> but he just put in a really big day's work. And when we've put in a really big day's work, we've learnt new things, we've come up with new ideas, we've read new papers, whatever we've done during the day. If we don't get a good night's sleep that night, then that day is depleted in terms of the value because mm -hmm. we're just not consolidating it. Our brain doesn't have the chance to put everything into the boxes. That's how I think of it. And do you think that... I'm thinking of examples like Elon Musk. Uh, so in the papers relatively recently with his, like, I, I don't know, I sleep two to three hours a night and I think Ariana Huffington then came back to me and went, you shouldn't do that. But can certain people cope with 
the fluff on their brain? Or actually, no, are they in denial? So there's multiple answers to that. There is a small, tiny percentage that scientists think may be able to cope with much less sleep. But the number of people that believe they are that tiny percentage is just crazy. Mm-hmm. So the majority of people numerically would be in denial. Mm-hmm. The other benefits of sleep are very physical as well as cognitive. So the being able to focus the next day, pay attention, being able to regulate emotions, build social connections, be more creative and innovative. There's a whole host of benefits that we attach to sleep. And you probably don't know whether you're increasing your risk of heart attack and stroke and cancers and all of these other things that have been linked to Mm. abnormal sleep patterns and lack of sleep until much later. So if you want to gamble with it, go for it. And is there like, oh, we should all have seven hours? Is there like an ideal? Yep, seven to nine. Yep. Wow. Okay, seven to nine. And in terms of the quality of sleep, so I guess there's the quantity, so it's seven to hours. In terms of the quality, I think I was reading in your book about um, alcohol can affect the quality of it. I think was it in the second half of the sleep that Mm. alcohol, so it might get you to sleep, but actually the quality of your sleep isn't so good. Uh, And, you know, the phones by the bedside kind of thing, that technology towards bed affects the quality of the sleep. So it's having good sleep. Good sleep, absolutely. And there have been brilliant books published in the last year in 2018 raising the profile of sleep Mm. so a lot of our sleep academics have now stepped up and are voicing this more so there's there's really no excuse you know Mm -hmm. it's, it's up to you if you choose to ignore the facts and the evidence but it's all out there in terms of sleep hygiene how you can try and help yourself get to sleep and there are for sure people that really struggle with mm. this and that need additional support to get to sleep to stay asleep and for the majority of us there's a whole heap of self-help stuff that we can do that will get us to a much better routine I know one lady who got a fitness tracker device and she said I only wear this because it makes me go to bed <laughs> and I thought how brilliant you know we're all using these different technology yeah. devices in different ways but she loves in the morning morning going yep I got six hours and I go six (laughs) hours there's no way I could function on six hours but you know good for you that it's up from five or four hours so I was with a great organization speaking yesterday an organization called Chime and I was talking to them about this podcast and I was like oh and in the book it says that organizations should be investing in sleep awareness training and I think that's great and she's like oh we've just had sleep awareness training and I was like amazing so shout out to Chime who are on the on the front foot with it okay so everybody sleep seven to nine hours and make sure you're investing in quality sleep what I'll do as well I'll put some of the resources on the blog post that will accompany this podcast on amazingif.com and I'll put some of the books in there so if people want to dig into that a little bit more that they can. And just the last thing on that, sometimes I get asked, you know, what could organisations from a design layout Mm. perspective because... Yeah. Oh, really? A nap room. If we trusted our employees that when they were feeling tired to go and have 20-minute naps, it would be amazing. Yeah. I just, I don't know why we don't. My dad used to run a law firm. He used to close his door and lie in front of the door. And they just knew. (laughs) Nigel's napping. Um, You know, because I work quite flexibly, I can nap and I do. And it just, in training sessions, if I'm ever running workshops, I always say, look, guys, if you're tired, I would much rather you just go and sleep in the corner for 20 minutes than struggle to keep your eyes open. Mm. I know what it's like mid-afternoon sometimes. You just feel that. Oh. So yeah. don't jump on your phones in the break time. Go and, go and have, a little, have a nap room. Okay, maybe we might have to weave that into our courses. It might change the venues that we select for places. Just put some pillows on the floor. Okay, yeah, pillows and cushions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all good. And some relaxing music. The, so the second thing when I was in the book, and you know, there's so much been done around motivation and the motivation theories. And, and Sarah and I went to uni together quite a long time ago now. Uh, and we did so many classical motivation theories. But I think um, when I was reading the book... The the role of 
neuroscience and your brain in terms of where you get your motivation from and, and what reward really means and how you can use insight about your brain to kind of make reward more rewarding I found that quite interesting so what's the relationship neuroscience and motivation what can we learn about there so I am going to mention a jargon term but it is one that we've mentioned before (laughs) so this chemical dopamine is a neurotransmitter it's really useful for so much in us and it can be triggered really easily and it's released as part of the reward network in the brain so there's this whole system in the brain that's called the reward network it involves lots of different Helpful brain areas language. absolutely <laughs> i know i won't mention the um, anatomical regions but the the reward network triggers every time something is clocked in our brain as rewarding so it doesn't have to be something that practically we would deem as rewarding so some of the darker side maybe of this network is that it would be triggered when a gambling addict Uh, gambled and they lost because they get addicted to the dopamine so the dopamine reinforces our behaviors okay so it's anything that we do that's a trigger yeah can trigger the reward network which triggers the release of dopamine which reinforces the behavior got it so it's part of the mechanism that makes something motivating to us and reinforces that behavior and so could become addictive to us so eating can be addictive Mm. um drinking all of these things can be addictive but so can reading great books on the brain Mm -hmm. you know each time I read a new book. I, you know, it's all consuming, and for others, it might be something else. You know, yeah. um, but watching Netflix, <laughs> absolutely. And it's worth noting that so much of our technology and the companies that are making things know how to trigger this reward network. Ah, mm. uh, yeah, phones, notifications, everything. Yeah, and and it can be used for good, like Duolingo. Yeah. I I love the fact that it reminds me and it rewards me, and I want to keep going with that streak and all of those sort of things for building language learning or that the fitness trackers that can help the less mobile of us take a few more steps a day because that boost of when we achieve something they all work on our reward network yeah but our reward network itself is not choosy we're Uh, conditioning it so if it's that someone's not too keen on water we might have to recondition ourselves to like and want water and quite often to distinguish between some different systems within the motivation Mm -hmm. um, process I ask someone, you know, how much are you liking this water right now? And they're, well, I'm going to take it or leave it. And then I give them a big spoonful of salt. (laughs) How much are you liking or wanting it? (laughs) Love. Absolutely. Dramatically changes. So we can condition ourselves. That would be the most evil thing. I'm trying to relate it to something at work, which would be like a project. How motivated are you to do this project? And like, oh, you know, there's other things I can be doing. Here's the door. (laughs) The equivalent of the salt water. That project looks amazing. Oh, but it's all about context and, and contrast frames. And so we are very easy to manipulate and to influence. And we can do it intentionally mm-hmm. and with purpose. So we can motivate ourselves mm-hmm. and reward, condition ourselves to elicit a reward response, to become rewarded and motivated by the things that are good for us and mm-hmm. the things that will take us in the direction that we want to be going. I think one of the things that I recall from the book was about, so if you're working on a really big project, if you break it down into smaller deliverables in your mind, then that can get you a few more of those shots along the way, which can kind of mo- maintain your motivation throughout rather than a 
long-term goal that isn't it doesn't trigger that so frequently and you've been writing a book right yes 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 <laughs> don't get me don't me. <laughs> but you didn't sit down one day and go okay so we've got to write the entire book that's not very motivating <laughs> yeah, no, it isn't it <laughs> but breaking it down into chapters or chunks or different angles and then ticking off that you've done that individual bit yeah I'm sure helped get you through yeah, we're very nearly through. We're like a week from the final bit. And that, I feel like, with the dopamine is building. <laughs> it's definitely building. <laughs> and it does with anticipation. So when you're looking forward to going oh, on a holiday, you activate that same reward network. So mm. it's not just about when something's been achieved. It's the anticipation of something as well. So I'm trying to think for practical things that people can do in the office to help themselves with this. So the first would be if you've got a big project, break it down into those smaller things so you can kind of build the motivation reward. The other thing would be maybe think about the positive future. So the what your job will look like when, what this project will look like when, that kind of so and then that anticipation can create some and trigger the brain in that Absolutely. Way. And also if it's possible to create the state of flow when you're actually doing it. So mm. rather than put off the reward, actually find a way to intrinsically enjoy and trigger the reward response during the actual doing of mm -hmm. it. So sometimes that takes more work than other times. But yeah, there's lots to intentionally reshape us. But ultimately, upfront work to recondition ourselves so that the things that we're doing are enjoyable, are triggering a reward response, helping us to then focus because dopamine's great for that, helps us to focus and concentrate as well as reinforcing the behaviours. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I think that reconditioning word is a really good segue to like the third area that I really want to talk about. And it's the final area, I think it's a chunky one. So in the book, repeatedly, when I was reading Engage, actually, and, and, and the Neuroscience for Coaches, the importance of mindfulness and meditation, I'm thinking of the conditioning. That's what I came away in thinking that partly sleep can look after your brain, and then also 
the role of mindfulness. But I think reading the book, it made me think, wow, this isn't like just a nice to do. This is a really part of in, in a work environment where we've got all these distractions going on mm-hmm. by people that are like you, probably working for those organisations, trying to on the other side of the fence, work out how we get addicted to them. Actually, one way that we can maybe take some control back yes. of our brains is this being more mindful, maybe practising meditation. Can you talk a little bit about the value of that and maybe actually what it's doing in your brain when you do that? I think the first thing to say is that there are lots of different ways to rewire the brain. And one of the reasons that mindfulness is so easy to cite is because there's a really great body of neuroscientific evidence underpinning it. So different studies have shown different things, but what's a fairly universal evidence is that you increase connectivity between a very cognitive region of the brain Mm -hmm. called the prefrontal cortex, for anyone into their jargon, um, (laughs) and a deeper region within the brain called the amygdala. But the increased connectivity, so more neural pathways, more roads on the highway between Mm -hmm. these two regions in the brain, means that people typically report better emotional regulation. So rather than fly off the handle at work or burst into floods of tears Mm. or just feel completely overwhelmed, they're better able to regulate their emotions because there's more communication going between the two regions. And that's been built up through the practice of mindfulness. Mm. But it's not just mindfulness that's fantastic. There are lots of other forms of meditation which have different effects on the brain. So again, I'm going to come back to being intentional with how you design your brain, how you recondition your brain, rewire your brain to be the brain that's going to best serve you in the moment. Mm -hmm. So if you've just had a baby and you are sleep deprived and stressed out and going back to work, then for sure, mindfulness is a good place to start because it will help with your patience, help with your attention, your focus, ability to emotional regulate. That's definitely a good zone for that. But if, for example... We speak to lots of men that might say, actually, I could really do with increasing my empathy at work. Mm. People are are saying that it's an area that could do with some development. Then there's quite an out there form of meditation, some might say, but it's got a good evidence base to suggest that actually it can increase empathy and increase another chemical in our brain called oxytocin, Mm -hmm. which typically men have less of than women. So this is a a loving kindness meditation and you can Google it um, and you can build up. Sarah and I actually did a loving kindness meditation on a giant cloud in this beautiful hall somewhere near Westminster with this uh, bag company called Anya Highmark and we just stayed on this giant cloud. It was a very surreal moment in our friendship together. But yes, it was lovely. Probably firing lots of oxytocin then. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think the thing also to raise is that a few decades ago, these practices would have naturally arisen in our day. It might be that we were playing a musical instrument. It might be that we were playing a sport. It might be that we were doing the washing up, but we were doing those things mindfully. Mm. So those networks within our brain were being strengthened through the practice of different things. So these networks are not just strengthened when we sit and go om or practice a particular body scan meditation Mm. or whatever it might be. They can happen naturally, organically in daily life that we're enjoying. But I challenge whether today, when we have a moment of downtime, whether we look Mm. at our phone. Whether it's real downtime whether we turn something on to listen to while we're doing something. Mm. So again, we're activating a different network in the brain rather than these other networks, which are equally valuable. Just because we don't see ourselves producing something doesn't mean that they're not really strengthening Mm. our brain in a helpful way. I really struggle with that. Um, It's definitely like on Helen's development list for this year um, to not fill the blank space with 
activity, like just have the blank space, like let your mind wander, daydream, whatever it is, like on a walk, you don't, I kind of go, oh, I'm going to walk, that's great podcast time. But suddenly I'm engaging a different part of my brain rather than actually just being a bit more mindful and kind of intentional with what I'm doing. Uh, That's really, really interesting. So, So the takeaways for people are that it can help them mindfulness meditation there are different types that they can do which might be appropriate and again i'll put some of the links to the like loving kindness and things like that for people but it is actually possible to change your brain i think when i was reading the book there were some examples of people who had actually changed how their brain worked through these approaches yep so we physically change the structure of our brains amazing on a daily basis but when we're deliberately intentionally trying to change it then we can choose activities that are most likely to shape it in the way that we want. So being intentional, I think, is really key. Selecting a type of meditation or practice that might be good for you. So Mm -hmm. whether it is learning to do calligraphy, but being fully present in the moment Mm -hmm. of doing that, whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. So it might be a hobby. It might be a specific guided meditation. And then seeing if you can work that into your daily routine it might even be I know organizations that take a mindful minute before they start a meeting Mm. and actually just giving people blood pressure a chance to come down you know some of their cortisol levels to reduce Mm. and engage themselves be present think about the other people in the room connect all of those things are going to have physical structural changes in the brain occurring which could then benefit what's coming and just maybe to close on that point the the mindful minute so people because that's nice I really like that so that's the start of a meeting you just say before we start with today's agenda about the strategy for this team, whatever that meeting would be, um, we're just going to take a mindful minute, so just one minute to be quiet, just to take some time for you before we get on to the agenda, and then just let that silence be. And so no one's, gosh, I almost want there to be a silence now, I mean, but it probably won't be very good for people listening on the podcast, but I, <laughs> I sort of want a mindful minute, that'd be lovely. Okay, that, and that's, that would be something that people could actionably put into their meetings, and it would help people to be more focused and present in that meeting, because their brains can kind of get ready for it. I love that. Maybe Sarah and I should have some mindful, mindful minutes. So we have then discussed the three areas that I really wanted to talk for people. And I'm conscious of your time if you're listening. And lots of people listen to the podcast when they're like running or commuting. So I'm always conscious of that tube is probably getting to their stop <laughs> or their, their, their run is ending. So we've talked about the role of sleep, uh, why sleep's important, seven to nine hours, get the quality of sleep. We've talked about the motivation and reward and breaking things down. And we've talked about mindfulness and meditation actually rewiring your brain so I hope if you're listening that has helped you to take some of what is a very big topic and I think more and more people are becoming aware of it and take some actionable insights from it I would say that I have there's so much more I feel like I need to reread your books and a lot there's just so much valuable content in them so if you're listening you think I want more I want more of this head to Amy's website which is synapticpotential.com read her books um there is the book called Engage we're going to be running a competition on Instagram for you to win a copy of Engaged there's neuroscience for coaches and I've not read your first one which is make your brain work so that's the one I've not read I need to get my hands on that one and read it So read them if this is a topic because Amy's approach is it just makes this really, really accessible and I've really enjoyed reading them. And like I said, it's definitely something that I want to reread. Before we close out the podcast today, um, I always ask people when I'm kind of doing the interviews with people for their best piece of career advice. And I wonder if you could share that with us. It has to be linked to my experience, which is to just pursue what you're passionate about and what interests you. Love it. Yes. And that's what you've done. It's like it's, it's the best example of your career. And sometimes I earn absolutely no money. Sometimes I earn very little money. But over time, people have caught up with what we were campaigning for. Mm-hmm. So. 
Lovely. Okay, thank you very much for that. Um, so that is the end of this week's podcast. As I said, you can find the blog post, which will be on amazingif.com to accompany this. All the links will be on there. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, Sarah and I will be back together. So make sure you uh, subscribe so you'll be aware of that one. And if you have got a minute, please do leave us a review. It makes a really big difference. Apple's algorithm, all that great stuff. Uh, it makes a really big difference to our podcast showing up to people that might not have listened to it yet. Uh, we've now reached over 100,000 listeners on our podcast. That's really, really exciting. Uh, we would like to get to 200,000 now. <laughs> That's the next big milestone. Don't know how long that'll take. Uh, but yeah, thank you for all your help and thank you for sharing us with other people. We'll leave it there for today. Amy, thank you so, so much for your time. It's been a brilliant conversation. It's been lots of fun. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 